0: Hello and welcome to Intrepid Times, this is Nathan Thomas, luckily enough to be able to interview Alec Ash, whose new book, Wish Lanterns, Young Lives in New China, which chronicles the lives of six millennials growing up in Beijing and around China, was just released last month, published by Picador, to wide acclaim. I caught up with Alec just before his book launch in Shanghai at M on the Bone, so there's a bit of background noise and hubble and bubble as we're chatting, but we had a Wonderful interview, which I really hope that you will enjoy. Wish lanterns, your mm. first book,
1: and you said you spent about four years working on it. Yeah, I well, I came to China in two thousand and eight for, uh, for the first time, but I was living here and learning the language, and that's when I first became interested in my generation in China, which but, is your about thirty. Yeah, I, I just so turned it's... I just turned thirty, so back in two thousand and eight, I was a Fresh college graduate, uh, everything in China was new to me. And uh, what I was most interested about was Chinese people my age, those people I was hanging about with, and uh, going out and drinking and karaoke oh. with. Uh, and I felt that their stories were just so interesting. And I think they were painted in quite a two-dimensional way elsewhere. And they got a bit of a bit of a rum deal like in the materialist, Materialistic, yeah. shallow, absolutely brain dead, brainwashed, apathetic. Um, Yeah, you could have a list of um, criticisms and stereotypes as long as my arm. Um, So I guess I wanted to get to know them in a more meaningful way. And I was writing a blog back then. Uh, So I just graduated. I studied English later in university. I didn't know the first thing about China. I just wanted to come here and start writing. Had this very vague notion of being a writer. And I kept a blog and I, I wrote a lot of things for, for free and just out of personal interest back then. And that German of an idea in the blog where I was also following six people kind of grew into a book proposal and then I had the opportunity to do something similar over, yeah, I guess about four years from 2012, that was when I first started So you followed it. five lives? Lines. Six. Six lives? Six lives, yeah. yeah. Uh, five and a bit five, five and, and a chain. bit five, five and changed lives <laughs> right. um and it's just their stories yeah I I always feel really awkward being the white guy telling people about young China right um and any sentence so we're sitting now in i on the Bund uh, and I'm about to give a book talk and yeah, it's all I'll, a posh I'll, I'll confess to you now because no one will hear this before before the talk's already over and they've paid their money but um I don't know if I have anything really valuable to, to say about Chinese millennials as a group. We'll delete
0: that off the, <laughs> off the interview. Don't worry, okay. secret but... <laughs> I
1: I certainly don't consider myself an expert in young Chinese. This is a group of 320 million, if you count it one way. 320 That's... million of, of our generation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, of people between, let's say, 15 and 30. That's a lot. Um, it's bigger than the population of the U.S. And they're all dreadful, shallow, materialistic. That's it. Both athletic it. and nationalist. Yeah, you don't need a book. At point. the same time. You don't, don't need a done. You just right. need a 500. Oh, well, thank you very much for your time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks, David. Um, and I think no one can really be an expert in, in, in something that big a beast. Uh, what I am an expert in is the lives of these six people who I've been following and right. really getting to know over the last four years and uh, sort of two or three years with them, and I th- I'm always of an opinion that uh, you can have, arrive at broader insights and share and give broader insights to a reader through minutia and through individual details and lives. I've always preferred that model, both in what I read and now in what I write, I've always preferred that to the reverse, which is that you would have a thesis, you would have some big idea about China and I've read some great books of, of about style as well but I always find it problematic when that idea, as much as I might agree with it, is applied to everyone in China. I always find that a problematic model and you can certainly criticise the way I do it uh, you could you could say that it's anecdotal right? it's just anecdotal evidence, you can't take just six people and then extrapolate out from that um, but I do think that there are that you can arrive at really meaningful insights which you can widen out and extrapolate from um, when you live something when you feel something or when as a reader if if the writer is doing a good job you should be able to feel that and experience that through their eyes and with them and and get to know and empathise with these people in a way that hopefully enable people to empathise with the people who I write about in the book so You didn't begin with, with
0: an argument, with a thesis. It's just the stories from your experiences directly yeah. with
1: you. I, well, what ended up, I think, doesn't have a particular thesis. I think it has themes. Um, I think the various themes which I discovered and found in the process, um, I did actually start with some fixed ideas of what I would found, find. And I originally was looking for characters who somehow represented that thing that I wanted to write about, whether it's nationalism, you know, go out and find the nationalist young Chinese, or let's go apathy. Go out um, and find an apathetic. Yeah, exactly, and, and I think I was really schooled in that process um, when I discovered, obviously when you think about it, that it's not so simple, and that what you find is always going to be an individual who might be, generally is more than one thing at the same time, and that that nationalistic side of them is also Tempered and qualified by something else, and I definitely wanted to give the impression of China as a country populated by individuals like all of us. And these six people,
0: you knew them all personally, right? You became friends with them. You went out to to KTV with them. You mm. became a part of their lives.
1: Yeah, I'd say so. It's it's kind of a, it's an interesting relationship between writer and subject, writer and writing. It's uh, in many ways it's closer than friendship or sort of sight, it feels like friendship and it is friendship I would consider myself friends with all of them and I hope that they would consider me their friend as well um, but it's it's something more than that as well because you're asking really personal questions questions you wouldn't like, normally ask if you didn't have yeah like if, if we were close friends I wouldn't for some things I would just wouldn't ask you because that's the whole point of being a friend sometimes is just don't pry in that way, don't ask these super personal questions, just let something slide um, so I was almost it's almost more, a more close relationship than a friend, which in and of itself makes it something different to a friendship um, and I don't think there's any way around the fact that as a writer you're a bit of a vulture that's, that's borrowing another writer's term um, you're a bit of a vulture, you're leeching the story off someone. So and a th- tragic th- event in one of their lives could be <laughs> great material <laughs> yeah, for you. I mean, it's not that <laughs> cynical, of course. But. Well, I think every writer has is, is sort of come across that moment where you realise, or well, you find out something about someone's past, which is really heart-wrenching, um, and you're sitting there and you're going, oh, no, that's horrible, and inside you're just, you're just yes, <laughs> yes. It's going to make awesome coffee. And you feel terrible, of course, about being The sociopath's guide to journalism. Oh, I think any writer is (laughs) more than a bit sociopath. Right,
0: fair enough. But when you became uh, friends with these people, was it with the objective of writing a book about them to begin with? Or did this grow out of an existing
1: relationship? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so they knew right from the beginning that I was writing a book. And I think that's really important um, that... They're on board with the process of what you're doing, and they like that. I Yeah, and and I never had really any problem with that because mm-hmm. I haven't had much problem with that in China. Maybe because I haven't written particularly sensitive topics. Uh, sure, but uh, I, I I I find that people in China are really really open and receptive to talking about their lives. That's and, interesting. Um, that's the younger generation specifically. Well, you know, there's a lot of old, old people <laughs> on the Hutong who'd, who'd be really friendly to you as well. It's just a great country. It's a gift to any writer and reporter. So in that respect, um, to qualify what I was saying before, I, I actually wouldn't and didn't in this book write about my actual friends. There was one guy sure. who's an environmentalist um, who has, I think, a pretty interesting story. And I originally I wanted to write about him in the book. And we tried it, and we did some interviews. And I just found the whole process slightly off, slightly weird. And I found myself feeling like I would be changing what I'm writing because he is a friend. I felt too close to, to him, him in that way. Not wanting to offend him. Or... Yeah, a little bit like that. Um, somehow the dynamic is different, and I I just found it easier to have a sort of s- just straight up from the beginning. yeah, like, can I write about you and hang out with you? And and in that process, you're you're, you're friendly, but that's a lot. And it's quite difficult to do with someone who you already know really well before that. The six people in the book, uh, your book's just been
0: released in English, as in about a month ago.
1: Yeah, that's right. So it was published in the UK right. in June, and right. uh, it's available in Hong Kong and around Asia and in Shanghai. Only in English so far. Beijing in the English edition. Uh, Is there Chinese I'm hoping that it will be translated into Chinese. Okay. I think we'd have some difficulty getting that into the mainland. There are some sure. sensitivities. Hong Kong and Taiwan. I certainly hope so. Sure. Um, and the U.S. edition comes out early next year.
0: Connection there was. I'm wondering if the the six characters in the book had, had a chance to read it. Yeah,
1: they're Are all they reading English? it now. Um, some better than others. Sure. Um, Mia's read it all. Uh, Lucifer's read. Brilliant Elizabeth. name. I read an extract <laughs> yeah. he
0: published, which which was about uh, Lucifer's experiences on a, on a Danish show. We'll yeah. provide a link with this
1: interview. It's a brilliant name. Yeah, yeah, Lucid was a brilliant character as well. <laughs> I think it's really important that you're accountable to the people you write about and they get a chance to, to read it. So I've, I've sent them all copies um, and I think it'd be brilliant if there is a trans- translation and I, I've talked them all through it, through what I'm writing about them. So I don't think there'll be any big surprise. But in the end, I think as a writer, you should be able to write, write what you want as long as you don't. Make anything up, then I think you just uh, do it how you like to do it, and not be afraid of sort of stepping on toes. Sure.
0: I'm curious about the process. I've kind of got this vision of you in a KTV room singing along with with Lucifer, and then stopping to, to scribble some notes on a pad, and then going back to KTV.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I I I, I, I wouldn't dwell on that mental image because I'm a terrible singer. Um, should <laughs> so clarify for the listeners: KTV is, is Chinese karaoke. Yeah. Um, uh, there was a degree of that, especially when I'm out in a context which I know I'm going to be writing about when I'm at the wedding of two of these characters. I know that's going to be a scene in the book. So two of the six marries. Yeah, okay. there's, there's two narratives which meet okay. about two thirds of the way through the book, and they're two separate characters, and then uh, when I found them, of course, they were already married, uh, and they together and it's a flash marriage and within a month it's pretty amazing they, they get married um quite romantic as well and it's in its way or not romantic depending on how you see it uh, although i won't spoil which characters they are sure so in a scene like that in the wedding or or lucifer going on tv um you know i, I was there and i was taking notes throughout it um when i started doing this you know i was, I was pretty young and i didn't really had much experience i didn't know how to do it i was a little shy of having my notebook out i don't think that you need to be shy about that and i'm not now i think you know they know that you're writing about them uh sometimes your notebook or your phone when you're tapping in notes it can be it can play in your favor um, when you're doing an interview because they you know they're, they're, they're aware that they're being written about um so i don't i don't think too much about it and it's important to take good notes um so whether you're doing it on the spot or scribbling it down ah, sure. I mean it's worth
0: it because you're getting the, the memories of the story the notes from actually what's happening yeah I take a lot of
1: photos as well and I recorded a lot of audio probably about I think I had like five gigabytes in the end which is, which is quite a lot um, because when I go back and write about something I, the way I write I find it really helpful to have uh, a photo to look at to remind me of, of, of the ambience and to look for particular details sometimes instead of Taking a note, you can just take a photo and then look at that in closer detail later.
0: So what I'm seeing is, is a hugely rigorous, intense process that's behind putting together the book.
1: Yeah, it, um, I put a lot of time into it. Um, and I spent, I clocked a lot of hours with the people who I write about. And, and I hope that that shows in the kind of depth that I can describe their lives in. Sure. Um, and the imaginative leap where you're, you're really taking a big liberty when you're describing what someone is thinking and feeling. And I was trying to be careful to only write things like that where they expressed that kind of a sentiment directly to me. It's the biographer's sort of taboo, isn't it? Don't say,
0: well, must have felt at this moment.
1: Right, yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's why it could be useful to use the first person um, to, to make it clear how you're getting in your information and saying, so and so told to me. That's something that I didn't do. Um, And that was a conscious decision early on. just wanted to remove myself from the book completely because I felt that my story was the least interesting. So your voice isn't featured? Yeah, so the word I doesn't appear until the author's note at the end of the book, uh, which I think meant that I had to be super careful about putting things in their voice. I think my voice is in throughout the book, and that's very clear and obvious uh, when it is that I'm saying something. But the word "I" and the first person itself isn't isn't there until the end. Sure. So you don't have any sort of
0: postmodern Alex sent down and ordered in order to be a sort of moment.
1: There's, there's, there's one moment at the end where where Daihai invites his English friend, who's writing a book about him, <laughs> okay. to, 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 to Chinese
0: New Year. Neil. So during the, the four years right that you were working on this book, you're yes. living in Beijing, yeah, um, and you had to do something else to pay the bills. You're working as a journalist.
1: Yeah, I did. I did uh, journalism. Uh, I've been stringing for various. Publications um, uh, and uh, you know whatever I can else I could do around the side to keep me in my noodles. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it was sort of a bit of a, a bit of a mixed match. And then I uh, I also had an advance from the book, which helped and enabled. I think I'm very lucky to have been in that position to be able to fund myself over, over sort of three four years from my own journalism, and the book advance, and some teaching gigs. Um, but it, it sort of didn't leave me with that much afterwards Ooh, sure. so yeah, the financial model is definitely um, um, a, a big consideration when you're
0: thinking about being a writer It seems I get the impression from uh, reading yeah. your, your website The, the Antle, and from poking about there's quite a writer's community in Beijing mm. uh, English language writers writing about China
1: Yeah, I think, I think there is anywhere in the world where um, interesting things are happening um, and you've traveled a lot, right? You were in Poland for a year. And... Yeah. I, the, I mean, the expat scene in, in Poznan,
0: which is uh, where I live in Poland, where you have a family connection as well, it was a strange one. Because um, it's not really the place where people end up living. Mm. You know, it's not really a typical expat spot, which made it fascinating. But it's also, there wasn't a very
1: cohesive
0: expat riders uh, community. Or anything
1: yeah, like China's or more of a destination, right? Exactly. Uh, I mean, we're, we're recording this in Shanghai. Uh, we, and I think that's as true of Shanghai as it is of Beijing that you have a community of, um, a very really close knit community of uh, foreigners who are interested in China. Um, maybe it's a little bit more true of Beijing, I don't know. Um, and everyone has stories to tell. So in The Anthill, which is a kind of group blog, writer's colony, we call it, which I set up in 2012 and co edit with my friend Tom Pellman. Um, we just want to create a space for people who have these insights and stories to tell specifically a narrative story it's about their neighbour or something that they saw um, and want a place to host that uh, and get it read by like-minded people who are who are also following China um, we want to just provide that platform for it and, and that's what we did and now we have I guess over 100 people have contributed now. And we put out an anthology book last summer called well, While like We're yeah. Here, uh, published by Unsure Books, um, uh, which you can also pick up in, in Beijing and Shanghai bookshops. Um, and we, we're still putting out stories on uh, theantil.org. I get the impression from that that there's a real sense among your, um, your 100
0: contributors. We'll quickly, just clarify the 100 contributors, what ratio of them would you say are foreigners? Mostly. Mostly. Pretty much all foreigners. Yeah, Yeah. There's an impression there, I get that. People who live in Beijing, whether or not they're full-time writers, have a real sense that there's somewhere interesting, that there's somewhere that things are happening, that there's material, Mm. and that observations on it, a story about the neighbour, a story about something that happens, have have merit, have Mm. literary value.
1: Mm. Well, it's a question of audience, right? I mean, the the first question you've got to ask is, who is reading this stuff, and how much do they know about China, and... And often the answer, certainly said, if books, is um, not a lot often. Um, so who's going to be your guide to, to that? Um, often if it's someone with amazing knowledge of China who assumes that knowledge on the part of everyone else, that's not necessarily the right guide. Um, so I think there's, there's often this there's criticism a bit of a knee-jerk criticism of um, you know, why, why it's like a white guy writing about China. Um, and I think along with those people who make that criticism, I would love for the to be more Chinese voices. And I think it's super important that we have more Chinese voices, more female voices, um, so that there's more diversity to it. And there's a lot that you can get out of a book written by a Chinese person that you can't out of a white guy or any kind of foreigner who's here and whose culture it isn't, but I don't think that that precludes the merit from the people who've come here, from the, who come from the same perspective as the readers do, because I think that often makes that, them the better guide. Have you been,
0: the book was released in London last month. Yeah. Have you been back to the UK for the launch?
1: Were you doing um, no, we doing No, we did the then? launch in uh, the Beijing Book World uh, on the roof, and we set off some, <laughs> witch lanterns, and managed not to burn down. Sami, <laughs> <years> congratulations. <laughs> um, uh, and I'm going back to the UK in October for to, to and Literary Festival. Sure. So, um, as you say, this is mo- this is a book for people who don't necessarily know that much about it. Well, I think we forget sometimes. Uh, In our communities who are long-term China people, we forget how little people know about China outside of it often, Um, which is a problem as a writer to find that balance between exposition that you know would be boring to a China hand and giving the essential information for people who are not and would only have a glancing knowledge. And that's, I think, another reason why I like writing about just people and their lives, um, because that's a base of which we all share and anyone can identify with and empathise with uh, someone's story because they're so similar to you know, the story of a young person growing up in America or New Zealand or Poland. Um, it's the same kind of struggles they, they face, just in a very particular environment. And you're going against such a wave of... You know?
0: Stereotypes of preconceived ideas. That the fact that you're actually telling these people a story has this merits,
1: social perspective, journalistically. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's it's a cliche, but I I kind of write by the maximum show, not tell. Um, and yeah. I think I think sometimes stereotypes are a necessary place to start. like God knows when I was learning about China, I started from the stereotypes. Often you need to have that stereotype in your mind, and then you answer. Give it detail slowly. Um, but I feel like you can circumvent that just directly writing about people. Um, because because when you're only writing about a person's story, it's, it's easy to avoid generalizations and generalized Because you can't generalize about Steve, right? Steve is himself. Yeah, exactly. It. Steve is always Steve, Lucifer is always Lucifer.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> that's it. This it is... could be um... <laughs> So if your book's going to be released in Alabama, you
1: might get some letters. Um, And I feel like when you... uh, We've got some funky music coming in here. I know, this is going to This this is going to... I feel like I should say something extra meaningful to... uh, China is a country. Country contradictions. (laughs) Um, I, I think, like, if you can really give... A reader, a feeling of someone's life and what their hopes are, and what's our dreams of. I think that can show. I think that can enable them, even if they don't know much about China, to come up with realizations themselves. And I think that's the essence of what I mean by show, not tell. Um, when you look, look beyond the sort of that that particular writer's cliche, I think I think the real meaning of it is that. You can either tell some, tell a reader something that it's taken you a few years to, to realize, or you can describe a life and tell a story and hope that maybe halfway through or three quarters way through that story, the reader is going to sit up and think for themselves, oh, I get it. You know, actually, you know, Chinese young people aren't totally spoiled and they have it pretty difficult. Um, and these are all these things that they're worried about and I think because the reader comes up with a realisation themselves rather than have it told to them I think it's, that's an aspect of human psychology that it's more likely to, to stick in your mind stories
0: are more persuasive than arguments yeah bit, than I think so logic. you're not writing seven <laughs> reasons why everything you think about China is wrong yeah, right. yeah.
1: although that would get
0: more it would get a lot of clicks wouldn't it right. yeah. but it wouldn't necessarily have as much value so writers that quick just briefly, writers that have influenced you, you contemporary writers about China?
1: Um, well, I listened to your interview with Pete Hessler um, on, on this site, which I thought was a terrific interview, um, and he's been a, a big influence. Um, I, th- I think he's also inimitable because he writes in a very particular voice, uh, injects himself a lot into the stories. That's, that's, that's very much his uh, style feature of his narrative.: Yeah, um, I think that voice that he has, and also the particular time that he was in China and writing about, the time when the economic boom was just really beginning to catch up with people's lives and transform the country. I think neither of those elements is repeatable because you can't, you can't repeat a voice which is so linked to a personality like Peter Hessler's writing style, and you can't repeat that era. Um, but in terms of the, the way he approached um, going out and writing and something that you're saying in, in your podcast was just you spend time with people you just sit down and talk to them and then you discover the things that you want to write about that that really ran true to me that's something you've done as well with your book yeah uh, I think it's important and I tried to do it with the characters I was writing about not to go in with an idea of what you're after but simply Put in the hours, sit with them, and then the stuff, and have that faith that the that the material that you that will be compelling will come up, and it always does in China. Um, and the best stuff was when I wasn't expecting it, wasn't drilling for it, wasn't asking pointed questions. I was just walking down the street with them, and they were like, "Oh yeah, that reminds me of this thing in my childhood when I was like in a in a gang and we flattened bullets with up Oh okay. okay, tell me about that. Um, so I think that's a really good model but you're spoilt for choice um, in terms of China writers but the ones which I think most influenced me were um, the ones whose craft I really uh, respect and that approach which I identify with so I think Pete Esther is one I think um, Catherine Boo and her great book about Mumbai is, is another one um, John Hershey um, Barbara Demick's book about North Korea. There's um, so nothing to end here. That's right, yeah. Um, which which are all narrative. Very so I was narrative her her narrative structure of Nothing to End is quite similar to yours. Yeah, yeah, I definitely borrowed from from that. Um, I do it in a slightly different, sort like, of sequential way when I'm jumping between these voices um, very quickly, which I think was more of a deck to Game of Thrones um, than any other book <laughs> in there. So you hear heard it here first. Um, Fair enough. <laughs> So, so yes there you are G- George R.R. Martin he's my biggest influence
0: the best China writer of the lot <laughs> alright Alec the room is getting full of uh, fans and your books have been laid out on the table so um, oh, awesome. we'll leave it uh, leave be thank you very much for your time alright thanks Ethan. yeah cheers hey folks Nathan Thomas here thank you very much for listening uh, you can buy Alec's book Wish Lanterns off Amazon we'll provide a link below here as well as good bookstores everywhere Um, Also, if you enjoyed this interview, plenty more interviews with writers who travel, travelers who write coming up soon on Intrepid Times. Just like us on Facebook uh, to keep up with what's going on.